Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Black Hole Cinema. Joining me from Film Scratches, Mr. Chris Wilson. Hello, Bert. And joining us again, you've actually been on a few with me, uh, it's Leslie Pitt. Hi, how are you doing? You're right. Not too bad. Your website, www.afrofilmview.com. Um, so you yes, can check, check that out. You're also on Letterboxd as well. Are you still doing regular reviews on Letterboxd? I don't do um, regular reviews on Letterboxd. I think the last one I did was Bunny Lake was is um, missing, and that was last year or <laughs> maybe earlier this year. I, it's annoying because Letterboxd is such a really fun site, yeah. but I just really wish they could have an app um, just so I can add more movies. I think that's what I kind of use it for. So Yeah, but so obviously they go to your website then if they, if they want to um, find out what you're writing. And also, um, we have our own website now, which is Black Hole Online, but um, we'll, we'll, you can go to that. Um, we haven't got a proper address yet. It's still on WordPress, so it's blackholeonline.wordpress.com. Um, and we've got reviews, features and um, articles on there from myself, from Emma, from Tony and some, from guest writers as well. Uh, those have mostly been on the podcast previously but there's also some that um haven't as well um so you can check that out uh, you can also obviously check us out on on the twitter as well we're going to delve into some film news first off before we get onto our reviews and the one story that i couldn't not mention was apparently that james bond is going on to broadway <laughs> Uh, oh my <laughs> yeah, um, I know Tony wasn't overly impressed with that news, but apparently it's taking to the stage and it's currently being put together and produced and looking like it will run late 2017 to early 2018. Firstly, how can they do it on Broadway when obviously it's about an English person? Surely it should be opening in the West End rather than Broadway. But <laughs> do you think it's going to be any good? I don't know, I can't see how it's going to work. Personally. No, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what sort of songs you come up with. <laughs> I'm not really, I'm not the biggest um, Bond fan. Yeah. Um, but something like that, I don't know. I think it's just seeing what money you can get out of yeah. something. It really isn't it more than anything else. Exactly. I can't, can't imagine that generally a James Bond fan is going to be 
you know, much of a musical enthusiast. So they're probably not the first people that are going to go and watch a musical anyway. So I'm not quite sure where they're going to get an audience for that from. Uh, maybe if you sing all the songs in you know, a Sean Connery's accent, maybe that'll do it for them. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they maybe maybe they won't even bother writing any songs. They'll just use Diamonds as Forever, etc. <laughs> oh God, no, I've just thought that's what we're going to do. We're going to take off different theme songs from over the years. Yeah. And somehow incorporate that. Into a story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's <no>, terrible. <laughs> Especially when we got to die another day. Oh, Christ. <laughs> and uh, did you have some news as well, guys? For me, I've been in a state of melancholy. I think I've been very frustrated with recent news as of uh, as of late. Not so much anything like a, a, a specific film, more in the sense of how the creative classes are being kind of treated. Um, we had Nicky Morgan um, attacking arts and humanities and saying that it limits your options if you pick them as university subjects. Mm. Um, we've had the constant throttling of the BBC in the last week and a half, you know, from people who claim of a left-wing bias, who, you know, usually write for right-leaning newspapers. One of the worst things I find for me in my uh, in my day as a film watcher is the dissolve has um, actually dissolved. Mm. Um, it came quite out of the blue. Um, I've been reading. There's a really really good article about it in Critic Wire with uh, Keith Phipps, and um, it was just a bit of a shock for me, mostly because I'm a massive fan of it. I'm a big fan of their movie of the week um, articles, and I was a massive fan of um, their, uh, their, the, the, um, the feature Forgotbusters. And Forgotbusters was this thing on where Nathan Rabin would look at films that had made a ton of money, but no one talks about anymore. And I think, you know, it was just little things like that that they did that I found quite interesting. And the upsetting thing for me about the whole thing is I just get the feeling that in terms of creatively, we're just we're getting royally shafted everywhere, left, right and centre. It just feels that we are now moving into a stage, especially with something like Jurassic World making as much money as it has, that, you know, the bottom line is, you know, is the profit margin. And that's the only thing that matters. Um, quality of work doesn't matter in any shape or form. Um, and that's what we'll get. That's what we'll soon see if, if the Tories get their way with the BBC, if um, Nicky Morgan, Morgan gets her way with, you know, shutting down arts and humanities and, and I think that's what we're going to see in terms of film writing as well. Things like the Dissolve, which was a fantastic middle ground balance of art and, and, and mainstream, disappear. And I've already been tired of so many of English for that matter, who don't really do too much. They're very good with the, the rumours and jumping on ship in the same way as like the Sash Filmcast websites or anything like that. They're very good imitating American sites, but they're not very strong in the same way as something like the Dissolve. And I think that's, for me, really important to have something like that. I think we're only really having uh, sight and sound, and you know, very soon I think they'll get throttled soon as well what they need to do because mm. obviously the, the the film council stuff has been kind of dumped on the bfi and it can only spread so thinly but i don't know i i, I say melancholy i'm just damn right angry more than anything yeah, else um, yeah, I, I think it's sort of an interesting state that we're in especially with film criticism where something like the dissolve can't stay afloat and i, I don't know it, 
I've sort of disillusioned a bit about how film writing is becoming more about PR and I sort of don't like that. I think there's plenty of room for like looking at film in an artistic way, you know, from a storyteller's way, but recently, especially, you know, when you see some so-called film critics you know, uh, going on about, you know, San Diego Comic Con and just talking like fanboys, there's sort of I think film criticism is sort of dumbing down quite a lot, and I don't like it. How do you think this is going to directly affect, you know, the films that are coming out? You kind of obviously mentioned that a lot, you know, recent successes of, of you know old work, as it were, coming back out and not particularly being done um, well. You know, Terminator probably being the most recent example of that. Do, do you think that's going to be a trend that it is going to affect the quality of what we get? Um, to a point, yeah. It sounds in a really roundabout way. I think one of the things when you when stuff such as the dissolve disappear, disappears and whatnot is you you are not alerted to smaller works. Yeah. And I think one of the things that kind of that kind of upsets me now, we especially on the internet, is we have such a binary way of thinking. I will never, you know, I'm, I'm, I won't poo-poo anyone's love of certain films, so to speak. But I kind of very I find it very annoying that. We now only really look at film as I like it, I dislike it. We can't, yeah. we don't look at any other readings in in any shape or form. I mean, just look at how I loved Mad Max. I thought Mad Max was really fun, but it seemed like the feminist readings of it were very limited because she was a kicker, you know, because Charlie Theron was just another kick-ass, you know, f- feminist story. I think there was, there's much more to to that, and I, I think it was in, it should have been interesting if more people were kind of bringing up on that. But no, I think what happened was very just straight down the line. Um, I think people are following too many trends. And going back to um, what, what you said, Chris, I think it's, 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 um, it's, I think it's right in the sense of just stuff kind of being dumbed down and just kind of being you know, that's the only thing we see like, I, I didn't really mention too much before we started recording but like you know we weren't able to see I wasn't able to see Love and Mercy this week which kind of just slipped under the radar for most people I only saw trailers I think a couple of weeks ago and I've got two cinemas and neither of them are playing it mm-hmm. um that's eight screens in one, 12 in the other. <clears throat> but, of course, you get more Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, everything. And, and we're in a something in a state which I call like a callback culture. All yeah. these films seem to be, we seem to be watching Terminator, and that is just, you remember this film from before, here it is. And, you know, there's so many fans who just seem to be very sort of, yeah, I liked it. That's, I remember... I remember it from nostalgia, so therefore it's fine. I, I don't know. I just want stronger readings, and I want different films. But I, I'm old before my time. I'm, I'm, a, I'm very get off my lawn at the moment. So <laughs> <laughs> I find it very worrying that we can't. One of the things that I find so, so important about things like the dissolve was it had the best um, comments board where people didn't go to just attack the writer or attack other people in the comments it wasn't like a youtube comment page or anything else like that it was they actually had interesting conversations about what was being said and we've lost that and now 
you know, and I'm, I'm seeing it a lot more on Twitter, people just jumping into um, conversations just to try and force their opinions yeah. on um, other people and not really having any nuance or balance. And I do think that kind of, I do think it kind of matters. I think it's in a roundabout way, but I think you kind of need you know, people who were looking at things in a very thoughtful way, but wrote very well and very and in a very approachable way as, as well. With that, they, you know, they weren't as dry as some um, a certain sound can be, um, but they weren't as hyped up and you know as some of our, our kind of other media is. I don't want to name any names because I do read some of them. You know, I do read some of them some from time to time. I think it's kind of important. It will be something like the dissolve that will turn around and talk to you to you know alert people to stuff like dear white people it's not really going to be empire it's not really going to be total film um they do a quick review and that will be it you know these guys were actually looking into those things Mm. and and kind of you know you having that sort of debate it gets buried as well particularly on their their websites that those reviews get buried under the weight of everything else they've got going on um and as you said they might have a tiny little review in the in the corner of one of their magazines but it's not going to be you know the the front page it's not going to be their you know double page spread in the center it's never going to be like that and you mentioned love and mercy not showing anywhere again i'm the same i'm surrounded by our cinemas you know in 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 the west country there's not an abundance of art house cinemas but we've got a few of them around and i'm quite blessed that i can get from city to city and to, to different towns quite easily and it's just it's strange that none of them are showing it you know as i've got nine screen in 30 minutes one way in taunton i've got i think it's five screens uh, in in Exeter, they've got a five screener, they've got a, a two screener, and they've got um, a three or four screener. And again, it's not showing in any of those in any of those locations. Um, and it's not even like it's been a busy film week, really. Um, Ted Two, which we'll review shortly, is kind of the big release, but it's not like and that there has been an abundance of other releases. You know, whereas you know a few weeks prior we had um, Pitch Perfect Two and Mad Max released both on the same week. So in in that in that respect, you can understand why smaller pictures perhaps might get lost, you know, hmm. alongside those. But it's not like there have been many of the big releases this week. You know, obviously last week we had um, Minions and the week uh, and Terminator, and the week before we had, uh, or a few weeks ago we had Jurassic World. But even then, Jurassic World's been showing. You know, it's in its fifth weekend, the weekend this weekend. So it seems strange that something like Love and Mercy is just not getting any playtime. Um, obviously, can't not mention Comic-Con. Mostly it's the uh, DC uh, trailers that have been exciting people, uh, the Batman versus Superman trailer, as well as the Suicide Squad. Um, anything else? If there was the one thing I uh, picked up from the uh, Batman-Superman trailer was how long it was, considering how, it's not even out for another, what, Eight months, nine months. Yeah, and I, I think it's desperation on their part. I think they want to try and get as many people in as possible because, to them, I think they need to break that billion uh, dollar worldwide figure. Otherwise, mm. all, all the other plans are going to fall apart. I think yeah. they're desperate for Marvel money, and I think this is why we're, we're seeing so much so soon. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a really, I think it's a great trailer. 
I, I really enjoyed it as um, as a trailer, and I think what they need to do, I think I think you are right there, but I think what they what they're planning to do there is trying to kind of you know quell all the worries about all the all the choices that they're making. Yeah, <laughs> I think the thing, the big thing is is when everyone came out of Man of Steel, it's like Superman doesn't do that. Why is there so much destruction? Why was he doing this? And I think one of the things that Snyder is doing quite well is trying to answer the questions that were that are coming up. I love that image. I mean, I know it it brings up again kind of nine eleven imagery. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know it kind of you know that seems to be the thing that one of the go to things for a lot of big budget filmmakers. But the idea of just seeing Bruce Wayne just run into smoke it's it's an effective moment yeah i like how we got a double whammy in there because if you notice they did an and how we came between of it as well yeah mm. yeah i'm you know i'm surprised not got a couple more of these things in there as well you know why don't we just like show uh, a shooting on a beach or something while we're at it was that was that <laughs> was that strictly um definitely what that scene was or or was it potentially in or, what the Katrina thing? No, um, the 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 obviously what looked like him running into kind of nine eleven, or was it potentially? Oh the... no, it, it looked like, it, 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 especially from the angle it was shot in Orvalo, it looked like the footage that someone got from lower up uh, mm-hmm. on the day of nine eleven of a plane uh, crashing into the World Trade Center. It was definitely, it was almost a like-like shot. It's right. It was, it'd sort of be distasteful if um, only done it about fifty times since then. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously. We should probably mention uh, the death of Omar Sharif. Um, for me, probably most famous for, for Lawrence of Arabia. That's that's kind of the one that I kind of remember him from. What about you guys? Yeah, the same here. Yeah. Yeah. Over 100 acting credits um, to his name, and there is apparently a short film that was in post-production that was due to be released later this year, so I imagine that still will be... Um, it's a it's an animated short, <clears throat> um, so I wonder how we'll get to see that. I'm sure it will probably now. Actually, it's it's always a bit sad, but probably we'll get more publicity now um, than it would have if he'd not died. Um, it's a bit like the case with the the Robin Williams films mm. that have kind of come out. They're they're now getting more fanfare than perhaps they ever would have done um, previously. Any of the other films come to your mind? Well, no, I know a lot of people were really into him in Top Secret, mm-hmm. um, and really enjoy really enjoyed him in that. Um, obviously, he had Doctor Shivago as well, um, yeah. you know, a big thing. And um, my Lean, I mean, my David Lean isn't too great, um, but I, you know, one thing I, you know, I always remember from Sharif is obviously his appearance and his entrance in Lawrence of Arabia. It's such a memorable memorable scene and shot from a film that has so many yeah um yeah. memorable shots and his, and it was on re, it was on just before the, the we, I, we started recording so i had it on in the background so much and it's just an amazing film to watch just beautiful in from moment to moment i think he really captures something in there he's got such a commanding presence and you know only to be kind of matched by peter o'toole and and alec guinness all in the same film and mm. i think one of the things that's starting to upset me now is the fact that all of those guys are no longer with us no mm. um it's, it's a bit like um with like christopher lee recently as well mm. um you're kind of noticing all these guys kind of disappearing and even if you weren't 
kind of hooped up in their hooked up in their films or anything else like that. You knew who they were Absolutely. as film fans and, and and their place, and it just I, I don't know. For me, I get kind of. I, I worry about my own mortality when that happens because uh, you, the people that you consider heroes and landmarks just start to leave. So I don't know. Mm. That's just me, though. Absolutely. So if you uh sitting, not doing anything um, when you're listening to this or after you listen to this, obviously, um, then why not pop on? Uh, one of his films, Lawrence Arabia, um, as I said, probably the most uh, poignant one for me. Up next, our review of Ted 2. Happily Ever After only exists in fairy tales. Yet a talking teddy bear is about to marry his girlfriend. I now pronounce you teddy bear and wife. May kiss the bear. Proving that Americans don't give a crap about anything. So I got some big news. Tammy Lynn and I are gonna have a baby. That's awesome. Wait, how do you guys? We uh, we need a sperm donut. What is that? What, what are you doing? I'm getting ready, dude. What are you getting ready? What are you, you what are you doing with your hand? I'm doing this for you. So when I get in, there, I can just bust it out. What do you think you are, a red lobster? Hey, Johnny, you did it. Right here, buddy. Catch. What the? Dude, that's somebody's kid. Fight the shit! Dude, it's in my eyes. I'm blinking it in. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm gonna take a picture and post it on Facebook. What? Hashtag Girl Monday. So Ted 2 picks up but a few years, I think, after the first one, where Ted and his uh, human girlfriend, Tammy Lynn, uh, have decided to get married. And it kind of then leads to them wanting a child. Being a teddy bear, obviously, it's not uh, going to be simple for them to achieve that. And they end up having to uh, try and to adopt, which then... Uh, basically flags up the fact that actually he's not a human being at all in the eyes of the American government and it causes some some issues and they have to go to the help of lawyers uh, played by Amanda Seyfried as well later on uh, Morgan Freeman as well um, and Mark Wahlberg as um, John is also along for the ride as well it's had some criticism um <laughs> <laughs> that is um, perhaps being a bit light. Uh, what did you guys think of it? it? To be honest, I didn't mind some of the comedy elements in it, but it is noticeably it's reverted to Family Guy humour, as in all the jokes are in the cutaways now, and there's yeah. the actual main plot, which isn't very good, and it is pointed out to me that if you, I'm not sure if you two have ever watched Family Guy. I mean, I stopped watching it years and years ago. But <laughs> it, it's exact plot from uh, from season one where Brian goes through the same thing. They're basically taking the same plot and right, turning it into yeah. a film. And it, there was barely enough plot for 22 minutes, never mind two hours. No, yeah. I, I, did, I did think about it must have been halfway through it i checked my watch and you know that's a big no-no um and i thought oh i thought this was nearly over (laughs) (laughs) like i thought like when they were in the um it was it was after the the first court case i thought oh that's it we're nearly done then that's good (laughs) yeah it's really bizarre because then you know the whole the whole thing with morgan freeman yeah and and then they have a road trip and then they go to comic con and it, it does seem to really start to drag after a while. Mm. And and then they have this added on plot where they bring back Donnie, even though it was by far the worst thing in the first one. It was just like, it, it felt unnecessary in the first film without, and, you know, that was the main plot without bringing him back again. Yeah. And the film itself, I, you know, like I said, it, it's funny. And, you know, there's one scene 
another cutaway gag is not actually uh, anything to do with a plot where they go to an improv comedy club and like shout out suggestions. You know, if that was the funniest scene, but mm. yeah, and uh, it's probably worth seeing it just that alone, but other than that, it's a comedy sequel, that's all you can say, really. Um, it's definitely the case where all the actual funniest gags were pretty much in the trailer, though, as well. I found, yes, you know, I, you know, going into it, I thought, um, you know, I'm quite looking forward to this. You know, the trailer looked funny, but, you know, the plot looks weak, but, you know, I'm sure if the humour holds up, it'll be all right. But I just didn't laugh as much as I thought I would. Well, I laughed quite a bit in the first one, and I did enjoy the the first film. But the other thing that stuck out to me is is Amanda Seyfried is, is no Mila Kunis. <laughs> No, I find it really, I found the film really odd, quite uneven, and a little bit frustrating. I think one thing that annoyed me so much is you see this opening where it's a really, really lovely kind of opening to, that reminds me that Seven McFarlane is a kind of song and dance man, um, mm. and he's, uh, he does have a real infinity and love for old Hollywood. He said, you know, you see it in, in Family Guy sometimes and, you know, the, the love of musicals and whatnot. And I would really like him to kind of lean on that a lot more. But unfortunately, what happens is he kind of loses it, loses it slightly. There's some really funny things. But if you don't really have a working knowledge of American pop culture, the jokes seem to fall flat. Yeah. Um, oh. The amount of times that people were, tell, um, he was, you know, there was jokes about stuff from like, um, like Tyler Perry, and it's you know, that for me. Okay, yeah, I get it, but it fell completely flat to a an audience that I've never seen a Tyler Perry film, mostly yeah. because in terms of distribution, he doesn't come out in England. No. So it, you know, it doesn't well, seem yeah, to be you, as. You went uh, top, top, Tom Brady and Jay Leno as well. Like yeah. I was the only person that laughed at the Jay Leno joke because I knew who he was. But I'm assuming that yeah. all the other people around me, which obviously were generally people that were younger than me, um, you know, they were probably between the ages of kind of like you know, 16 and, and, you know, 21 probably was the, the kind of core audience. But they had no idea who he was. They didn't know, have any idea who Tom Brady was either. Um, and, you know, even though they kind of made it completely clear who he was. Um, also, yeah. I thought the Liam Neeson cameo was bizarre as well. <laughs> it didn't really... It, it, it was a bit... Yeah, I mean, in all fairness, with the Liam Neeson one, there's sort of these an English audience into knowing what tricks are, blah blah blah. But mm-hmm. It's still awkward, and yeah, like, why is this here? Mm. It's like this meta gag about Liam Neeson, and yeah. and they've just turned him into well, he turned himself into a joke a while ago, but <laughs> it's just like a whole thing at the expense of his former persona. Yeah, and I thought John Slattery was wasted as well. I think I, yeah. I love him in Mad Men, um, and it's definitely the kind of role that he's great at but he was he was in it for like what 10 minutes and he spent most of the time sitting in the background <laughs> yeah yeah um, i mean i don't know i think i find i found it to be such a, a an odd film um like yourselves i had an issue with the with the pacing of it throughout but i think one of the things that kind of frustrated me was just how mcfarlane was very quick to just go on jokes on race constantly mm-hmm. um the whole black cox thing and all this other stuff that was going and i'm a fan of family guy i don't mind family guy i i really enjoy american dad so this isn't really me having a go but i just found him so quick to go on these gags Mm. and and also in a plot that has that is about civil rights 
And I just found that really awkward. I found it really jarring, mostly because the amount of lip service he gives Dennis um, Dennis Haber, the amount of lip service he gives Morgan Freeman. Um, there was uh, another... Um, uh, there was like four black actors in there, which is more than most films these days. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, he doesn't give them really prominent roles and prominent parts. There's lots of jokes kind of at the expense of, um, of, 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 of minorities. And... I don't think he does it well enough. Not to say that you can, you can't joke about race. That's not what I'm trying to say. I think he does it better in. I think he does it way better in an American Dad and Family Guy than he does on the big screen. Mm. I think he has a big problem with, um, you know, how you say, Chris. It feels like a Family Guy episode, and I don't think his humour translates that well onto onto live action film. I think cartoons give him a little bit more leeway and yeah. a little bit um you know a little bit more wiggle room to do what he does and i think he's a bit more cutting when everything's kind of chopped down when he's got a film i think i find him i think he's quite rambling and ambling and this is from someone yeah. who really enjoyed the the first ted um i you know i really enjoyed the first Ted. i laughed a lot but this one i just found myself going hmm i just found the jokes just poor choices and I found them more hit misses than hits mm. yeah the thing I found weird as well and my friend who I went seriously with points of this out but with the summer cutaway gags as well which you know are completely unnecessary but that's where all the comedy is but if there's like one bit where they destroy his laptop and you know they go over the top and do the family guy you think yeah that's fine but then you think this probably took you like a whole day to shoot this like scene it's like a bit where they go scuba diving to destroy this laptop I'm like you probably spent the whole day to get five seconds of film mm. so mm. I, and it's just weird how they concentrate on that and whereas like the main plot doesn't work no no um uh, on one of our regular features on the on the site in Director's Corner, uh, which is one of Tony's, he mentions that potentially um, Seth MacFarlane's time on the big screen is potentially running out. Do you think he'll be scuttling back to the school small screen, or is he going to be given um, a few more cracks of the whip? I think he'll be given a few more cracks. Uh, I think, in in all fairness, uh, these films don't cost that much uh, to make, and I think he's making so much money for uh, Fox. Mm. Uh, with, uh, with Family Guy, anyway, I think it's probably it, it'll probably get it in, in any future contract. He'll get to continue making his own comedy films. And did... mm, I don't know. I just I just think he. I think there's there is a talent there, and I think it's kind of being wasted on really simple gags. Mm. And I think you know, he, as I think my biggest problem with Seth in this film as opposed to uh, anything else was it was very sort of look don't worry guys i'm liberal look at how liberal look at all my liberal friends are in this film mm. this gives me can't blanche to do all this stuff and i was like uh well yeah but you're not particularly very cutting you're not very insightful i i think there could have been a really good comedy about the idea of a talking bear fighting for civil rights and justice and basically what really happens is all he's really done is just put a really good Jurassic Park reference in there it's it's just mm. you know it's it's just callback culture again the only reason this film seems to exist is because the the first film made money yeah yeah um, you mentioned obviously that the Donnie plotline is pointless 
I again, I, I, I didn't, I don't like the character first and foremost. I find him quite irritating, but also again, it just felt pointless and kind of strapped on to the end of the plot to kind of give them just another hurdle to kind of overcome um, when actually, had they actually concentrated more on Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long Catch the award winning movie Poor Things starring Emma Stone Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe Check out the new documentary Freaknik The Wildest Party Never Told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, the, the court case and the, the, you know, the actual civil rights path um, that obviously the character was going on, perhaps it would have been more successful and there potentially was more room for comedy in there because it kind of the Donnie stuff just became a bit slapstick. <clears throat> uh, I don't know. I, I, slapstick's his thing, and it goes back mm-hmm. to... It does go back to the fact that he does have a love of the these older style of of um, of humour and and Hollywood. But I just... I just don't think it works very well. I think his timing seems to be incredibly off. Mm. in this and i think it was the same thing with um what was the westerly did a, uh, a, million, a million dies a million ways a, to a, uh, a million jokes down the west yeah so i was, I was, yeah. Trying, I was trying to yeah. I think it's like funny like, a million ways to murder a film mother <laughs> and once again i don't think it was as bad as people said but i just yeah. think that everything's a little bit just off it doesn't seem to hit home very well and i don't know what that is i think you know, you've got someone like Mark Wahlberg who has shown his comic chops so many times, and I was like, you know, there's nothing as good as interesting as when he was reading off the names before in the first film. I mean, they try what they try it again here, but not to the same effect. And um, I think the problem is it's just how crass can we be? It's one of these things. The argument that's going on now with so with so many people is. Are you making a? Are you, are you doing a decent joke? Are you just being crass for the sake of being a cr- uh, crass? And mm-hmm. by being crass and being offensive, are you trying to hide behind a joke and going, "Oh, it's just a joke. Don't take it so seriously." You know, it's it's like lads' banter, isn't it? Yeah. In where where people are just kind of being insulting and going, "Oh yeah, it's just banter." When you know, it's like, well, what? And I don't know. I you know, it's made, I'm sounding a bit like a Mary Whitehouse here. Um, and I'm not because obviously you know, I, I'm a fan of a fan of his stuff, but I think just something is off. I think he is going for the cheaper gags, and I don't think they're coming off as well. I think there's a certain amount of oversatu- there was a certain amount of oversaturation 
with McFarlane. And I think the Cleveland show kind of showed that. And I think, um, you know, the film, Ted was uh, was just at the right time. And I think it was kind of perfect to, to make the money. But I think once one, one a Million Ways to Die in the West, his Oscars, his, you know, his Oscar stuff, I don't think it's hitting home as much anymore. And I think the world has changed even in the last three years since Ted. Mm. I think it's kind of really important to see that the world has kind of changed. And I think... Not everyone really thinks that a, a Saturday Night Live gag about a woman on a period is very funny, right. because ultimately that's all it is. It, it you know it wasn't skewering anything or anything else like that. It was just someone basically doing a period um, just say oh look I'm a woman I'm on my period aren't you know aren't we all irrational and stupid because of it and I'm like oh wow is that where we're going with this. Um, the, the decision not to involve Mila Kunis in this one, um, you know, apparently she was up for doing it and she was available and stuff. So it, was it a bit bizarre for them to, to for them to make that choice, for them to, to split that couple up? Just... I, I thought she was falling pregnant, which is why she'd been written out. Well, I know. She, yeah, I know she was pregnant, but obviously she's had I think she's had the baby, isn't she now? But I don't think she was pregnant at the time of this filming or potentially she was, but. She wouldn't have been very far along, I wouldn't imagine, because this probably would have been filmed sometime last year. And mm. I think she had the child sometime this year, so she'd have been very early in her pregnancy. But I don't know. Um, it, it just seems bizarre um, not to involve her when she was arguably one of the stronger points in the first film. And obviously they've got such a good working relationship. Mm. Yeah, I think they probably wrote it out. Otherwise, Mark Wahlberg wouldn't have had anything to do otherwise in the film. Yeah. It's just so we needed to give him another uh, love interest so he had something to do. Yeah, I That's guess so. That's the I can think of. Mm. Yeah, she's... Sorry, um, she's um, Amanda is kind of um, wasted yes. um, in this. And I've... And once again, now I'm just going to be nitpicky, but it's kind of annoying at the idea of we're seeing a a character that doesn't know pop culture and, you know, is kind of blind to pop culture and then reels off like literary names and then doesn't know who Gollum is. Yeah. You know, kind of silly. Yeah, it is is a bit bizarre. And the the first time that joke with that kind of was used it was funny and it made sense, but for them to keep doing it and for her literally to know nothing <laughs> about pop yeah. culture just seemed a little bit ridiculous. But this incredibly intelligent um, woman, you know, who was you know a, a young lawyer, not to not to know, you know, some basic pop culture references did seem to fall flat somewhat. I thought. Um, but it's done better in the other guys. That's what annoys me. I've seen mm. it be done. The idea of having my, uh, like Michael Keaton just say TLC songs all the time mm. and everyone trying to pick him up on it and he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I think it, it's done far better mm. and it's funnier and it's much more, it's far better integrated into the, into the other guys, which of course is another Mark Warburg film than it is here. Mm. And that, I think, is quite interesting. You know, I've, I've watched the other guys again recently, yeah. and you you realise this is a film that was that, that made a re- some really odd but telling, you know, commentary about about capitalism, especially at the end, and, and excess. And I thought that actually, I think it worked in favour. This is talking about civil rights, but it's just 
trying to use civil rights as a ploy in order to make as many crash jokes as possible. Mm. And I, I'm like, he's not Trey Parker, he's not Matt Stone. No, it'll no doubt take money, though. Um, you know, there will, be, there will be people going to see it. It's actually been a very successful year. The box office opening at the moment is 125 mil, mm. based on a 85 mil budget. Yeah, so not too so. bad. Um, before we move on to the next review at Love and Mercy, we'll take a quick look at last weekend's uh, box office top 10 here in the UK. At number 10 in its second week is Knock Knock. I've got to be honest, I hold my hands up. I have no idea what the film even is. <laughs> I've heard of it. I'm about to see uh, Eli Roth, Keanu Reeves team up that we all wanted. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Number nine, it's it's fallen down quite um, substantially in, in its third week. It's Mr. Holmes. Still took over um, 100,000, as I said, in its third week, but down quite substantially. Um, number eight is one of the Royal Opera House uh, streams, which is... Um, oh, I've got to try and pronounce it. Good, good, good. Gilayom <laughs> Tell, something like that. Yeah, there we go. That's, yeah, good enough, yeah. yeah. That's taken quite a fair bit of money for, for, for one of these event cinema um, uh, streams. Take actually took more than Mr. Holmes, obviously. Uh, 114,000, 114, quite a lot of money. And still sticking around is The Empire Strikes Back, which Tony and I mentioned several weeks ago now, the fact that it's being um, re re-released as it were is it in the secret cinema I can't remember what it is it's yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so and that's for that reason it's, it's being allowed to qualify for the box office top 10 even though it's uh, a bit cheeky uh, really <laughs> apparently it's, it's like sold out so it'll be like number seven all summer because it's sold yeah. out all its ticket allocation already so yeah um number six uh, is the melissa mccarthy comedy spy um which has taken nine million to date in its fifth week, and I've got to say, I bloody love Spy. I thought it was really good. I went in quite low expectations, but it just just Jason Statham made the film worth watching. Mm. <laughs> it was brilliant. Mm. Number five, well, first proper new release um, of the week, um, or of last week rather. Uh, Tony reviewed it on uh, the website. It's Amy. Um, took half a million pounds in its first week. Um, it's supposed to be very touching. Have you seen that on Chris? No, I haven't. No. So that's one film we haven't seen. Go watch that one. There we go. <laughs> yeah, very good. <laughs> Number four is Magic Mike XXL, um, which I'm sure you've seen. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 1.5 million uh, in its first week last weekend. Um, no doubt will um, secure more outings for Channing Tatum um, with his top off. Um, number three, it's taken an astronomical amount of money. It still took over 2.5 million in its fourth weekend. Uh, Jurassic World, um, obviously dropping down from number two. At number two, its new release is Terminator Genesis. <laughs> what did you guys think of that one? <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> from the badly spelt title to the fact that the plot doesn't really make sense to the fact that the best part of the film is where it's just in the original film i had a really hard time with this i found it quite dull i found the action sequence quite you know um, limp-wristed even though relatively well executed 
I really couldn't stand the plotting and how it was put together. And it, it just reminded me of why I haven't really been to the cinema this summer. Um, every, uh, nearly every film I've seen this summer, in terms of uh, since, like, since the event, uh, I just haven't really, haven't really hit you know, hit the, hit the mark for me. And I think one of the reasons is it's just this callback culture. I don't think nostalgia is good enough for me to have to pay for another thing of just this stuff. I don't, I'm not a big fan of this good enough culture that we're having and where, because you know of the films before, that's good enough and that's all you really need. I find it really frustrating. I find it really awkward and annoying and coying and you know i i oh just the hideous i don't understand jai courtney i don't i was just Ill. about to say what the fuck is that jai courtney i don't know people keep bloody casting him first it was a good day to die hard and then it was this and he's also in suicide squad and he's in a number of other bloody awful films yet some somehow he's still getting work I find him charmless, and I've, I've yeah. um, and this is no disrespect to him as a person, as if I were ever going to meet him. But um, <laughs> but I just find I I do not get on with him on screen. He it's just a very bland presence, mm. and I think that's something. You know, I think I think that's a big problem. It was very interesting seeing him going up against Schwarzenegger because Schwarzenegger was never the best actor. Yeah. But one of the things that made him so interesting was his presence. He has such a good presence about himself, even though he was never the greatest actor. No. And I, I'm, find, I'm finding that missing out of all the, the, the action guys that we're seeing recently. I think, you know, I think it's really, really interesting and I think a really good thing that someone like Chris Hemsworth has signed to Ghostbusters and Vacation, even though, once again, we're talking about callback culture. Um but I think the fact of putting his choices in there is showing that he's, you know, he's got a little bit of charm and presence elsewhere. And I think he, he's very good at kind of showing that, you know, it's, oh, I don't know, just couldn't, could, couldn't stand it. Really couldn't stand it. So Terminator Genesis probably will be slipping very quickly down the box office in the next few weeks. Uh, it took uh, just under four million um, in the UK uh, in its first week, and I very much doubt it. It tech took even half that this week. But no surprises. Number one is Minions in week two, taking nearly six point five million. Um, last weekend alone, um, so far 21 million to date, and I'm sure that will have gone up and up um, this weekend as well, because um, it was very busy um, for that one. So that's the box office top 10. Ted 2 will probably slip in there somewhere, but our next uh, review, Love and Mercy, probably won't be so lucky. Excuse me. Oh. Can I help you today? I'd like to buy a car. Hi, I'm Dr. Eugene Landy. Do you know what this man is? Brian Wilson. Of the Beach Boys. Ah. We've all grown up in California with brothers here, Dennis, Ryan, and Carl. So I listen to those harmonies, I would teach them to my brothers, and we'd all sing. Listen to me, I'm going on and on. What about you, Melinda? Why don't you have a boyfriend? He broke my heart. He shouldn't have done that. In the 1960s, Beach Boys leader Brian Wilson struggles with emerging psychosis as he attempts to craft his avant-garde pop masterpiece. In the 1980s, he is a broken, confused man under the 24-hour watch of shady therapist Dr. Eugene Landy. What did you think? 
Well, I'm the only one that's seen it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I might go for it. Yeah, I did get lucky going back to the point earlier on. I have to be in Sheffield this weekend because mm. you know, I, I live in Grimsby, Hawaii, so we have one cinema yeah. with about, in about a 20-mile radius, so I got very lucky. It, well, it, it's a film of two halves. L- literally, you've got the two different stories going on. And it, personally speaking, I'm, I'm like a, a big Beach Boys fan, you know, and I, I know about the story because I've read all about it when Brian Wilson finally released Smile, this was like back in 2004, mm. um, it happened. Mm. It, it, so I already know all the details. And what surprised me about the film is I thought the latter-day stuff would be more interesting to me, because this was when, this was after he'd gone to the bed for literally three years, and then uh, this uh, Eugene Lundy guy he shows up, he helps him get back on the straight and know a bit. Uh, but, he, but it turns out he's uh, got him misdiagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. You know, he's got him absolutely pilled up and is basically trying to get him to write music, write an autobiography and like you put all of his estate into his name. You know, he's just basically exploiting him. Mm. So I thought that would be the most interesting bit. And, it, you know, it's a good performance by John Cusack who plays for a lot of day, Brian Wilson. But in the end, I was I was far more gripped by the early stuff where he's um, you know he's still on the Beach Boys, but he decides after a particularly um, a bad tour where he has a panic attack on a plane, he decides to stay home and record what would become Pet Sounds, which if you know anything about the history of pop music, it's like one of the biggest albums. You know, it's what Paul McCartney considers to be the greatest album of all time, and you just getting to watch this process. In this like uh, meticulous creativity he has, and like all these wonderful ideas, uh, basically creating like an early version of chamber chamber pop, you know, with like French horns and uh, and sleigh bells and, <laughs> and all this lot. And while there isn't it isn't as dramatic, even though we do include this stuff like his famously bad relationship with his father, who was fair who was the Beach Boys manager until Brian sacked him. Uh, we've got stuff like that in there, but for the most part, but apart from his quick uh, fall from grace towards the end after Pet Sounds flops commercially, and he starts, through drug use and through other reasons, he starts having auditory uh, hallucinations, you know, he starts hearing like really creepy sounds. But the earlier stuff is a, a lot more interesting. It helps that Paul Dano, who plays him, is fantastic in the role. I'll be honest, apparently he's been in a bunch of stuff that I've, that I've seen, but I've never actually realised, i never actually realised it was him. Mm. Once it was explained to me, oh yeah, it was also in, in this and that, and he, apparently he was in Little Sunshine 12, as well. Yeah, 12 Years a Slave. And, was, was... and 12 Years a Slave, yeah. yeah. And he, I'm surprised he's not bigger, he's not a bigger actor than what he is just based on this one performance alone. You know, this is mm. the sort of stuff where if Love and Mercy evidently isn't being sweeped under the carpet, you know, this is a sort of thing you get nominated for. So yeah. it's a bit, it's a bit of a shame in that regard. And uh, like I said, it is Aviary stuff's more interesting for the later day stuff. For later day stuff, even though that's how it turns out in real life, it it becomes a love conquers all type story. And I think because the sort of swinging between the two, it just becomes a standard music biopic. It reminded me of Get On Up that came out recently, the James Brown biopic, mm. whereas the story is really interesting, but unfortunately, it's just 
hard to convert that into a really interesting film without taking away some of the detail uh, for dramatic effects. They sort of have to put everything in there, and as a result, it gets a bit baggy, mm. which is a shame. But yeah. other than that, I do recommend the film. It, it's, it's very nicely told. It's a fascinating story anyway, but just particularly to see the early stuff with creation of uh, pet sounds and for Paul Dano's performance, I definitely recommend it. Did Brian Wilson himself have much involvement in the film at all, do you know? I, I don't actually know. It, uh, we had a bizarre problem with our cinema in that the aspect ratio was off for the first five minutes, so we actually <laughs> cut off all the different credits. His name does appear, so I assume that was an executive producer credit. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's all been done with his permission, and at the end credits show him doing a live performance of his song Love and Mercy, so he mm. has had involvement in this. Yeah. That's good, good. Well, that's Love and Mercy. Do try and see it, I think. Um, by the sounds of Chris's review there, it's, it's worth seeing it. I, I bloody love Elizabeth Banks, so I'll definitely try and see it um, if it does come around um, my neck of the woods. It will be in cinemas, probably your art houses um, and, and your, maybe your big, big-ass movieplexes in, in the cities for the next few weeks, and hopefully we'll see it put a dent into the box office top ten when we get to that one in a few weeks' time. As has been said already in previous podcasts, we've changed the format slightly um, so that we only do a couple of reviews and we each uh, host do a different feature. Uh, my feature is the um, Hall of Fame, uh, where we um, insert um, actors, actresses, directors, uh, etc. that have um, never won an Academy Award but may well have been um, nominated or part of a nominated picture in the past. Uh, we did the men last week. And that, all that information will be on the website and the Facebook shortly. But this week we are going to be inducting the females. Um, we've each cho- chosen two options. Uh, our first option will go straight in to the Hall of Fame. And the um, second one um, will basically uh, be choosing from, we'll choose one of them. Um, so there'll be four places up to grabs in all. I'll kick us off. This is slightly uh, a bias one maybe I'm sure not everyone will agree uh, with putting her in there but Scarlett Johansson goes in for me um, specifically she was um, well they won uh, I think they, did they win or did they nominated for Lost in Translation um, she was never nominated personally but the film um, did win the Oscar back in the early two, it was about 2003 I think that one came out so she goes straight in for me. Chris, who's your first choice? Um, I think I'll go for an old school one, really. But it turns out that Judy Garland never really got an, mm. uh, an Oscar, which is a bit strange. Well, they sort of gave her a, uh, a commemorative lifetime yeah. one that doesn't mean anything towards the end. But, you know, yeah, I think alone for promising was the Vaz, you know, mm. which is fantastic, and obviously for such a young age. So, yeah, there you go. I think I think women was a lot harder. I had to, I was going through, um, and there were so many that um, I thought had you know might not have won one. Actually, you know, did you know your, your likes of your Susan Sarandons and stuff? I thought, well, maybe they they'd have been nominated, but they might not have won. Um, and actually, there's a, there's a fair few um, women. I think there's there's more more women that tend to win, I believe, than the men. There's some of the, the we had a whole list of men who haven't won um, an Academy Award. It seems like the men seem to win more frequently, as it were, whereas the, the women share, share it out a little bit more. Because um, my other choice would have been Julianne Moore, but obviously she won uh, earlier on this year. Um, yeah. Les, I know you're not a fan of the Oscars. <laughs> so, no, I, I am not. <laughs> um, so for you, this must be like pulling your eyes out. <laughs> or um, well, 
Yes, it is. <laughs> reason, I, think, uh, I think the reason why is quite simply because when you, you do kind of start looking at the list of people that haven't won, ha- haven't won the award, you, I find myself getting more and more annoyed because mm. you then look at the list of people who have, have, yes. have been nominated. Oh, wow. Okay. But also, it's you know just more about backslapping than anything else. But for me, um, my first pick, and I, you know, I had, to, I had to do some quick research before I started recording. And there was a good, there was a really decent list on the IMDb of about fifty actresses. So I've, I had a kind of short list of five of my favourite. I think the first one I'm going to pick will be Deborah Kerr, who I really enjoy in uh, The Innocents. And but I really, really love her in um, Black Narcissus, mm-hmm. and um, that's that's something that should have that you know I wish she would have got some sort of nomination for something like that. I think she's a great actress, and um, it's one of you know one of those one of these English actress, actresses that you know that we don't really talk about that much anymore. So, no. um, do you know what she was nominated for? She had six nominations. Wow. Um, she had six nominations. She had uh, The Sundowners. She had Separate Tables. Uh, she had Heaven Knows Mr. Allison. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had The King and I, um, From Here to Eternity, mm-hmm. and um, Edward, My Son. Uh, King and I is probably the one I probably remember her from most, actually. So the second nominations, as I said, uh, they're not all going in. Uh, we've then got a pick um, from the three uh, that we've got chosen. My pick to go forward, um, again, it's a slightly biased choice again, and it's um, <laughs> not quite as educated as what you've done. I've just gone, who do I like in movies at the moment? Hmm. <laughs> so, my, my pick was um, Emma Stone. Um, I believe she was nominated for The Help, or it might have been Bird... Ah, yes, no, it was Bird yeah, it was Birdman. Birdman. Birdman, yeah, yeah uh, which obviously she was nominated for earlier this year. Um, but I, I would have probably given it for The Help as well, so there we go. <laughs> um, Chris? A bit of a random one there. I, I'd probably nominate Emma Furman for uh, Pulp Fiction. Mm. Or, yeah, or Batman and Robin, whichever one you want. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not Batman and Robin. <laughs> Which is amazing in Batman and Robin, what you want. And Les, yours? I'm going to go for someone a bit more um, modern as well. Um, I'm going to go for um, Amy Adams, who hasn't won. Um, she's been nominated um, Best Actress for American Hustle. Um, June Bug um, was Best Supporting Actress. Um, Doubt was best supporting actress the fighter best supporting actress and um but the one i would have loved to have seen her uh win something for would have been the master which mm-hmm. was best supporting actress as well i i it's what she's one of those people that i i forget how many movies i've actually seen her in and how many times i actually really enjoyed her in yeah and then she's you know she's in punch drunk i'm uh, not punch drunk love she's she's with paul thomas anderson so therefore you know i i believe that anything that that guy makes deserves um, awards um, of, of some kind um, but that's just me I've yeah got, so that's who I've picked I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with Amy Adams because I'll see her in some stuff the master being one example and I'm like oh she's fantastic and then I'll see her in something like Man of Steel which to be fair she can't help <laughs> and I'm just like damn damn you're not that good and then I'm like and then, and then I'll watch her in something else and I'll be like oh yeah no, no there we go she's good again now so um yeah, 
she's not someone that, for example, if I see her name on the credit, I'll automatically go and watch it, as I potentially would with, for example, Emma Stone. If I see her name on a credit, I'll, I'll watch it, even if it's dog crap. <laughs> even if it's Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> well, I think the thing is with someone like with so with so many actors like like you said there, um, you see her in one thing, and you, you, you hate her. See her in something else, and you don't. Mm. I think it shows what the power of a set of certain directors yeah uh, um, can do. Um, it still doesn't, you know, it still doesn't explain Jai um, Jai, Jai Courtney. No. But, um, oh, I don't think he's ever going to be good. If I'm honest, but then you've got Suicide Squad, which I'll I'll be that willing to give him a chance. Like if he if he can pull that off, then you know maybe I'll change my mind. Um, so the three nominations are Emma Stone, Uma Thurman, and Amy Adams. So the way we're going to decide it is just go one by one. You can't vote for your own, so you've got to pick for someone else. Um, and hopefully we won't all just pick different persons. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> otherwise, that totally screws up the system, and we'll have to vote again. Um, so, so it was Amy. It was Amy Adams, Emma Stone, and uh, the Uma, last one against Uma, Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman. Okay. And I'm probably going to give my vote to Uma. Chris. Uh, Emma Stone. And you've got signing vote. <laughs> I would go with Uma. So Uma Thurman joins uh, Judy uh, Judy Garland, Deborah Kerr, and who did I pick? Scarlett Hansen. There we go. <laughs> um, so those will go up on the website and will join the men, um, who include uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, um, and I believe Mark Wahlberg was one of the other ones as well. I'll have to refresh my mind of that list. I can't remember exactly who we, who we inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, that feature will be back probably in a couple of weeks' time. I think I'm back on the show. So we'll be doing directors next time. So um, that one will be an interesting one, I think, because you've not got perhaps as many to pick from as you do with actors and actresses before we sign off give you your opportunity to plug yourselves again <laughs> chris um yeah sure uh, i've got a website filmscotches.com which i change every week for some reason <laughs> with uh, film reviews and such on there uh, so check it out and uh, you can follow me on twitter at chris m e watson and Liz. Um, yes, you can find me at afrofilmviewer.com, where I write poorly, gr- grammatically terrible um, reviews and articles. Um, oh, I I'm... really do need a proofreader. I thought you were going to say porn at first. <laughs> me too. I like porn. <laughs> No, that is my other secret website and Tumblr. Um, No, uh, always Tumblr. And um, you can find me on Twitter as well at AfroFilmViewer. And even though I'm guessing listeners have probably listened to me now and they're probably gritting my teeth at my my opinion, I am quite nice on Twitter. (laughs) This is Facebook where it's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you can find me um, at Dan Thomas Taylor on Twitter and obviously you can see some of my articles and reviews um, on our brand new website um, which I'm I'm, I'm thinking will probably be blackholeonline.com or .co.uk possibly but at the moment it's on WordPress so it's um, um, .wordpress.com I can't wait to write for that yeah, you you have what what are you going to write for us? (laughs) I don't know as of yet I th- I'm, I've had one or two things that have kind of come up that I, I want to have a look at, but I think what I may find myself doing is uh, more um, older stuff and mm. uh, like uh, just something a bit more out there and weird, 
whatever takes me. I usually ramble more than anything else, so. Very cool. Well, Emma's Dead Meat series, um, as it were, which is a regular feature on her um, when she hosts, um, she's also writing them up and popping them on the website as well. Um, so you can read those. Um, she'll be back again next week reviewing Ant-Man as well as bringing back her um, Dead Meat uh, feature. Um, so until then, um, make sure you uh, follow us on Twitter and check out our website. Um, thank you for joining us, guys. And we'll see you all next week.